Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. Minicoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out Minicoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Minicoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Minicoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, I wanted to do a follow-up to a previous episode that I did. This is just a few episodes ago. It was called, You and I Would Go to Jail for Running a Scam Like Social Security. And I think that I probably make assumptions sometimes when I'm covering a subject like this about the audience as far as what people know, what they don't know, what they've chosen to look into. There's so many things about the modern Leviathan state that one could focus on that sometimes you'd be surprised what libertarians might know and what they don't know, things that they know that you don't and vice versa. So I just wanted to cover a few topics based on some of the email feedback I got uh, about what I didn't cover in the last episode. And of course, the overall question that comes from everybody when you criticize a program like Social Security is, what would you replace it with? And of course, I defer back to the great Thomas Sowell's reply to that question about just about any government program you criticize, which is... When you put out a fire, what do you replace it with? But, of course, we can't be too glib. And if we were to stop Social Security payments tomorrow, certainly there would be some people that would be very negatively affected, people that are depending on that money to pay their rent, to pay their utilities, to buy food. And, of course, I don't think anybody would advocate for just cutting it off tomorrow. But there's a couple of things that I'd like to point out. Number one, you don't have to cut it off for the present beneficiaries in order to let new people entering the program get out. And there's two reasons for that. One, you could cut a lot of spending besides Social Security to make up for the contributions of new people entering the system. We could, for example, pull our troops out of Korea, Germany, Japan. They've been there now for at least the better part of 75 years. And when are we going to bring them home? Ever? We could save hundreds of billions of dollars there. And the other thing I would like to point out is that for new people entering the system, 22-year-olds or even people in their teens who are working part-time jobs, 
These people are not contributing the lion's share of what is collected for Social Security. Of course, everybody knows that as you get more experience in the marketplace, more job experience, or more entrepreneurial experience, you're going to earn more, and therefore you're going to pay more in. So if we were to let all of the 16 to, let's say, 30-year-olds out tomorrow, we wouldn't be even cutting off half the money being collected for Social Security. So it is very possible to get out of this program without cutting off your grandmother or your elderly parent who is depending on it. And I wanted to fill in some gaps from the last episode for some people that might not realize how the program has worked over its history. Okay, so go back and re-listen to that previous episode, which was episode 34. If you haven't listened to that already, but some of the things I didn't cover were, okay, I think a lot of people believe that while they're contributing to Social Security, that when they retire, they're just going to be getting back the money that they put in plus interest. That was never true. The very first year they ran Social Security, and the very first year I should say that they started paying out benefits, some of the money coming in was being paid back out to present beneficiaries. There's some anecdote about the very first person. I believe it was a woman. I didn't go back and look this up, but she contributed something like $24 to Social Security and got back thousands or tens of thousands, whatever it was. So right away, there were people getting a lot more out in the beginning than they had put in. And of course, right from the beginning of the program, part of what beneficiaries were receiving was money collected from other people. So that's just a wealth transfer program, no different from welfare. But the nuance to this is that for many decades, and really even into the 21st century, the program was running at a surplus because there was a lot more people out there working and contributing than collecting, okay? And again, I covered this in more detail in episode 34, but basically the rule was that if the government collected a million dollars, and I'm just using a round small number to make it easy, they collected a million dollars and they owed 500,000 out that other 500000 was not put in a bank. It was not invested in some company. It was not invested at all. It was spent immediately. And this goes back to the beginning of the program in the 1930s. That surplus over and above what they owed today in benefits to present beneficiaries was spent immediately and replaced with a treasury bond. And again, I go through this in more detail in episode 34, But that is not an investment. A treasury bond is just a promise to tax somebody in the future and pay you back with interest. So go through that episode to understand it more. But it's a scam. It's a shell game because the Social Security Act itself is a promise to pay you a certain amount of benefits in the future after you contribute. So you don't need to put yet another piece of paper, the government bond there, That's not like a corporate bond where the money that you loan the government would be used to expand production or produce automobiles or computers that wouldn't otherwise be produced. No, it's just a promise to tax people in the future. So really the whole idea of a trust fund, it's a scam. And I guess I wanted to point out that there's a direct parallel 
with the Federal Reserve and a word that they use. And it's right on the front of their currency. They call their currency Federal Reserve notes. And I don't think people take a moment to think about what the word note means in financial terms. Now, if you just look it up in the dictionary, it's a little written message to your spouse. Don't forget to take out the garbage. That's a note. You might take note of something, which means you're going to remember it. And there's a lot of different ways to use the word. But in financial terms, in any kind of financial context, the word note has a very specific meaning, and it means it's the record of a debt. It's a record of what the issuer owes to the recipient of the note. I have a friend who's a few trips around the sun ahead of me here, maybe 10 years, and he still refers to a car loan as a car note. He refers to a mortgage as a house note. What does it mean? It means when I sign a mortgage and say I'm going to pay back all this money, that's a note. That's a guarantee in writing that I am liable to pay back the principal and interest on the loan for the house I bought or for the car I purchased. So why did they call them Federal Reserve notes? That implies that the issuer of the note, i.e. the Federal Reserve, owes you something. Let's take a short break for this important message. Most people consider it a fact of life that prices are going to go up over time, and they've never gone up as fast as they are right now. But what if I told you it wasn't always like that? That for over 100 years, prices went down in America, even as the economy became more productive. Well, it's true. And as much as we like to blame the president when the economy is bad, presidents really have very little effect on our modern economy. The real culprit behind not only price inflation, but the constant booms and busts we suffer is the Federal Reserve System. My new book, It's the Fed, Stupid, is an appeal to Americans across the political spectrum to stop focusing on things that don't make a difference and start focusing on what does. Whether you're worried about constantly rising prices, wage stagnation, increasing wealth and income inequality, or the massive expansion of the government's size and power, they can all be traced back to an institution the powerful would prefer you ignored. Download a free copy of my new ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com and find out what you should really be fighting against. And now, back to our episode. You work on the answer, then you quietly save the day. You were right, Mr. Spock, about everything you said. We humans just are logical, too crazy in the head. And remember, that the Federal Reserve System started when there was still a gold standard. So gold backed all the currency, and what the Federal Reserve backed its own Federal Reserve notes with were both treasuries, which were bonds, promises to pay in gold a debt, or gold itself. So what happened after 1933? Well, Roosevelt severed the connection domestically between the U.S. dollar and gold. So now if you got a Federal Reserve note, you didn't have gold at the end of that series of transactions. There was no more connection to it at all. 
And after 1971, there really wasn't any connection to anything that the issuer owed the bearer of the note. So the Federal Reserve is issuing what they call notes, which in financial lexicon means a promise to pay, but they're not exchangeable for anything. So they're not really notes. Yes, you can go out and exchange them for a lawnmower or an automobile or a dishwasher, but that's all just because the owner of the dishwasher, the seller, the retailer, is willing to exchange for those notes. But that's not what a note means. A note does not mean maybe somebody will take this or some number of these pieces of paper for a commodity that I wish to trade for. A note means the issuer of the note is legally obligated to pay something specific. It's a loan. It's the record of a loan. So you can see that there's smoke and mirrors behind this system. It's a note that can't be exchanged for anything, so it's not really a note. So why do they use that word? Because at the time that they first started issuing these, people would have understood this is something I can exchange, that this is a promise by the Federal Reserve's banks to exchange this note for some tangible asset or other commodity of value. So it's a psychological trick. It made people think these things have value. And of course, at the very beginning, they did have some value. But as time went on, you know, they really don't mean anything. They're just pieces of paper and now electronic digits that are exchangeable for nothing. So I guess I just wanted to emphasize that there's a fraud here. There is a deception. And it's very similar to the Social Security deception where people are led to believe there's a trust fund with valuable commodities in it that back up or save the value of what they've contributed, and there isn't. There's nothing there. You gave your money that you exchanged your labor for, and the government spent it the very same day. And they put a treasury bond in there, which means nothing other than I'm going to tax somebody in the future to get the money I owe you. We used to call that a Ponzi scheme. And we put Ponzi himself and Bernie Madoff in jail for this. The guy who created the Social Security system, we elected him four times. So there you have it. So just to wrap up, I want to reiterate that both of these systems are fraudulent and they both use similarly fraudulent terms to deceive the public. And that would be the Social Security Trust Fund because there is no trust fund other than treasury bonds, which are not articles of value. They're just promises to tax people in the future. And the Federal Reserve System uses this very specific financial term called note. But Federal Reserve notes are not notes by any definition in the financial world. They're not exchangeable for anything. A note is a promise by the issuer to pay the bearer some tangible thing. And you cannot exchange a Federal Reserve note for anything. Yes, in the marketplace, you can buy things with it. But you are not guaranteed any specific value for that piece of paper. Today, $100 might buy you a dishwasher. Tomorrow, the dishwasher might cost $200. And regardless, that's not what a note means. A note is an obligation by the issuer to pay something specific. Both programs are a scam. 
they both similarly deceive people by misusing financial terms. And of course, especially near the beginning of the programs, this would have been especially deceptive before people got used to the idea that, let's say, a Federal Reserve note is not directly exchangeable for anything. And then the other thing I just wanted to, again, reiterate is as far as replacing the program, you let new workers at a certain point opt out of the program. So they don't have to contribute anything. And the most libertarian solution would be you let them save or not save at their discretion. If you were not comfortable with that and you insisted on being authoritarian to a certain extent, you could mandate that they save a certain amount of their earnings and put them into some kind of mutual fund or very safe investment vehicle that at least would be funding some kind of productive effort and therefore truly funding the interest that they were paid on their money. Because when you just put it into a treasury bond, nothing gets produced. Somebody just gets taxed in the future a lot more based on the interest that is accrued than what was loaned to the government in the first place. So I hope that fills some of the gaps that might have been left in the previous episode. And please do keep on sending me those emails. On Friday's episode, I'm going to have Tom Luongo back because we're going to be talking about Jay Powell likely getting confirmed. I assume he's going to be confirmed as Federal Reserve Chairman. And what that might mean, is he going to be the new Paul Volcker? Is he going to chicken out like he did the last time, the minute the market starts to go down, as far as reducing the Fed's balance sheet or or raising interest rates? We'll have to wait and see. Tom Luongo's got very interesting takes on everything. He's knee-deep in the investment world, and it should be a great episode. So I'll see you all then. Okay, friends, that's going to do it for today. If you haven't already, don't forget to download a free copy of my new ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com. And if you like the music you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at tommullensings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.